Chapter 9 of Animals of the Past by Frederick Lucas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Smith. The Ancestry of the Horse. Said the little Eohippus, I am going to be a horse, and on my middle finger nails to run my earthly course. The American whose ancestors came over in the Mayflower has a proper pride in the length of the line of his descent. The Englishman whose genealogical tree sprang up at the time of William the Conqueror has, in its eight centuries of growth, still larger occasion for pluming himself on the antiquity of his family but the pedigree of even the latter is a thing of yesterday when compared with that of the horse whose family records according to professor osborne reach backward for something like two million years and if as we have been told it is a good thing to have ancestors but sometimes a little hard on the ancestor in this instance at least the founders of the family have every reason to regard their descendants with undisguised pride for the horse family started in life in a small way and the first of the line the hierocotherium was a little animal no bigger than a fox and on five toes he scampered over tertiary rocks in the age called eocene because it was the morning of life for the great group of mammals whose culminating point was man footnote four to be exact but we prefer to sacrifice the foot of the hierocothere rather than to take liberties with one of the feet of mrs stetson's poem End of footnote at that time western north america was a country of many lakes for the most part comparatively shallow around the reedy margins of which moved a host of animals quite unlike those of today and yet foreshadowing them the forerunners of the rhinoceros taper and the horse the early horse we may call him so by courtesy although he was then very far from being a true horse was an insignificant little creature apparently far less likely to succeed in life's race than his bulky competitors and yet by making the most of their opportunities his descendants have survived while most of theirs have dropped by the wayside and finally by the aid of man the horse has become spread over the length and breadth of the habitable globe now right here it may be asked how do we know that the little hierocothere was the progenitor of the horse and how can it be shown that there is any bond of kinship between him and for example the great french pacheron there is only one way in which we can obtain this knowledge and but one method by which the relationship can be shown and that is by collecting the fossil remains of animals long extinct and comparing them with the bones of the recent horse a branch of science known as paleontology 
it has taken a very long time to gather the necessary evidence and it has taken a vast amount of hard work in our western territories for the country that is as hot as hades watered by stagnant alkali pools is almost invariably the richest in fossils likewise it has called for the expenditure of much time and more patience to put together some of this petrified evidence fragmentary in every sense of the word and get it into such shape that it could be handled by the anatomist still the work has been done and link by link the chain has been constructed that unites the horse of today with the horse of very many yesterdays the very first links in this chain are the remains of the bronze age and those found among the ruins of the ancient swiss lake dwellings but earlier still than these are the bones of horses found abundantly in northern europe asia and america the individual bones and teeth of some of these horses are scarcely distinguishable from those of today a fact noted in the name equus fraternus applied to one species and when teeth alone are found it is at times practically impossible to say whether they belong to a fossil horse or to a modern animal but when enough scattered bones are gathered to make a fairly complete skeleton it becomes evident that the fossil horse had a proportionately larger head and smaller feet than his existing relative and that he was a little more like an ass or zebra for the latter spite of his gay coat is a near relative of the lowly ass moreover primitive man made sketches of the primitive horse just as he did of the mammoth and these indicate that the horse of those days was something like an overgrown shetland pony low and heavily built large-headed and rough-coated for the old cave dwellers of europe were intimately acquainted with the prehistoric horses using them for food as they did almost every animal that fell beneath their flint arrows and stone axes and if one may judge from the abundance of bones the horses must have roamed about in bands just as the horses escaped from civilization roam or have roamed over the pampas of south america and the prairies of the west the horse was just as abundant in north america in pleistocene time as in europe but there is no evidence to show that it was contemporary with early man in north america and even were this the case it is generally believed that long before the discovery of america the horse had disappeared and yet so plentiful and so fresh are his remains and so much like those of the mustang that the late professor cope was wont to say that it almost seemed as if the horse might have lingered in texas until the coming of the white man and sir william flower wrote there is a possibility of the animal having still existed in a wild state in some parts of the continent remote from that which was first visited by the spaniards where they were certainly unknown 
it has been suggested that the horses which were found by cabot in la plata in 1530 cannot have been introduced still we have not the least little bit of positive proof that such was the case and although the site of many an ancient indian village has been carefully explored no bones of the horse have come to light or if they have been found bones of the ox or sheep were also present to tell that the village was occupied long after the advent of the whites it is also a curious fact that within historic times there have been no wild horses in the true sense of the word unless indeed those found on the steppes north of the sea of azoth be wild and this is very doubtful but long before the dawn of history the horse was domesticated in europe and caesar found the germans and even the old britons using war chariots drawn by horses for the first use man seems to have made of the horse was to aid him in killing off his fellow man and not until comparatively modern times was the animal employed in the peaceful arts of agriculture the immediate predecessors of these horses were considerably smaller being about the size and build of a pony but they were very much like a horse in structure save that the teeth were shorter as they lived during pliocene times they have been named pliohippus going back into the past a step farther though a pretty long step if we reckon by years we come upon a number of animals very much like horses save for certain cranial peculiarities and the fact that they had three toes on each foot while the horse as everyone knows has but one toe now if we glance at the skeleton of a horse we will see on either side of the cannon bone in the same situation as the upper part of the little toes of the hippotherium as these three-toed horses are called a long slender bone termed by veterinarians the splint bone and it requires no anatomical training to see that the bones in the two animals are the same the horse lacks the lower part of his side toes that is all just as man will very probably some day lack the last bones of his little toe the horse lacks the lower part of his side toes that is all just as man will very probably some day lack the last bones of his little toe we find an approach to this condition in some of the hippotheres even known as protohippus in which the side toes are quite small foreshadowing the time when they shall have disappeared entirely it may also be noted here that the splint bones of the horses of the bronze age are a little longer than those of existing horses and that they are never united with the large central toe while nowadays there is something of a tendency for the three bones to fuse into one although part of this tendency the writer believes to be due to inflammation set up by the strain of the pulling and hauling the animal is now called upon to do 
some of these three-toed hippotheres are not in the direct line of ancestry of the horse but are side branches on the family tree having become so highly specialized in certain directions that no further progress horseward was possible backward still and the bones we find in the miocene strata of the west belonging to those ancestors of the horse to which the name of mesohippus has been given because they are midway in time and structure between the horse of the past and present tell us that then all horses were small and that all had three toes on a foot while the forefeet bore even the suggestion of a fourth toe from this to our eocene hierocothere with four toes is only another long time step we may go even beyond this in time and structure and carry back the line of the horse to animals which only remotely resembled him and had five good toes to a foot but while these contained the possibility of a horse they made no show of it increase in size and decrease in number of the toes were not the only changes that were required to transform the progeny of the hierocothere into a horse these are the most evident but the increased complexity in the structure of the teeth was quite as important the teeth of gnawing animals have often been compared to a chisel which is made of a steel plate with soft iron backing and the teeth of a horse or of other grass-eating animals are simply an elaboration of this idea the hard enamel which represents the steel is set in soft dentine which represents the iron and in use the dentine wears away the faster of the two so that the enamel stands up in ridges each tooth becoming as it is correctly termed a grinder in a horse the plates of enamel form curved complex irregular patterns but as we go back in time the patterns become less and less elaborate until in the hierocothere standing at the foot of the family tree the teeth are very simple in structure moreover his teeth were of limited growth while those of the horse grow for a considerable time thus compensating for the wear to which they are subjected we have then this direct evidence as to the genealogy of the horse that between the little eocene hierocothere and the modern horse we can place a series of animals by which we can pass by gradual stages from one to the other and that as we come upward there is an increase in stature in the complexity of the teeth and in the size of the brain at the same time the number of toes decreases which tells that the animals were developing more and more speed for it is a rule that the fewer the toes the faster the animal the fastest of birds the ostrich has but two toes and one of these is mostly ornamental and the fastest of mammals the horse has but one all breeders of fancy stock 
particularly of pigeons and poultry, recognize the tendency of animals to revert to the forms whence they were derived and reproduce some character of a distant ancestor, to throw back as the breeders term it. If now, instead of reproducing a trait or feature possessed by some ancestor a score, a hundred, or perhaps a thousand years ago, there should reappear a characteristic of some ancestor that flourished one hundred thousand years back, we should have a seeming abnormality, but really a case of reversion and the more we become acquainted with the structure of extinct animals and the development of those now living the better able we are to explain these apparent abnormalities bearing in mind that the two splint bones of the horse correspond to the upper portions of the side toes of the hippotherium and mesohippus it is easy to see that if for any reason these should develop into toes they would make the foot of a modern horse appear like that of his distant ancestor while such a thing rarely happens yet now and then nature apparently does attempt to reproduce a horse's foot after the ancient pattern for occasionally we meet with a horse having instead of the single toe with which the average horse is satisfied one or possibly two extra toes sometimes the toe is extra in every sense of the word being a mere duplication of the central toe but sometimes it is an actual development of one of the splint bones no less a personage than julius caesar possessed one of these polydactyl horses and the reporters of the daily roman and the tiberian gazette doubtless wrote it up in good journalistic latin for we find the horse described as having feet that were almost human and as being looked upon with great awe while this is the most celebrated of extra-toed horses other and more plebeian individuals have been much more widely known through having been exhibited throughout the country under such titles as click the horse with six feet the eight-footed cuban horse and so on and possibly some of these are familiar to readers of this page so the collateral evidence though scanty bears out the circumstantial proof derived from fossil bones that the horse has developed from a many-toed ancestor and the evidence points toward the little hierocothere as being that ancestor it remains only to show some good reason why this development should have taken place or to indicate the forces by which it was brought about we have heard much about the survival of the fittest a phrase which simply means that those animals best adapted to their surroundings will survive while those ill-adapted will perish but it should be added that it means also that the animals must be able to adapt themselves to changes in their environment or to change with it living beings cannot stand still indefinitely they must progress or perish and this seems to have been the cause for the extinction of the huge quadrupeds 
that flourished at the time of the three-toed Miocene horse. They were adapted to their environment as it was, but when the western mountains were thrust upward, cutting off the moist winds from the Pacific, making great changes in the rainfall and climate to the eastward of the Rocky Mountains, these big beasts, slow of foot and dull of brain, could not keep pace with the change, and their race vanished from the face of the earth. The day of the little Hierocothir was at the beginning of the great series of changes by which the lake country of the west, with its marshy flats and rank vegetation, became transformed into dry uplands, sparsely clad with fine grasses. On these dry plains the more nimble-footed animals would have the advantage in the struggle for existence and while the four-toed foot would keep its owner from sinking in soft ground he was handicapped when it became a question of speed for not only is a fleet animal better able to flee from danger than his slower fellows but in time of drought he can cover the greater extent of territory in search of food or water so too as the rank rushes gave place to fine grasses often browned and withered beneath the summer's sun the complex tooth had an advantage over that of simpler structure while the cutting teeth so completely developed in the horse family enabled their possessors to crop the grass as closely as one could do it with scissors likewise up to a certain point the largest most powerful animal will not only conquer or escape from his enemies but prevail over rivals of his own kind as well and thus it came to pass that those early members of the horse family who were preeminent in speed and stature and harmonized best with their surroundings outstripped their fellows and transmitted these qualities to their progeny until as a result of long ages of natural selection there was developed the modern horse the rest man has done the heavy slow-paced dray horse the fleet trotter the huge percheron and the diminutive pony are one and all the recent products of artificial selection references the best collection of fossil horses and one specially arranged to illustrate the line of descent of the modern horse is to be found in the american museum of natural history new york but some good specimens of particular interest because they were described by professor marsh and studied by huxley are in the yale university museum they are referred to in Huxley's American Addresses, Lectures on Evolution. The Horse by Sir W. H. Flower discusses the horse in a popular manner from various points of view and contains numerous references to books and articles on the subject from which anyone wishing for further information could obtain it. End of chapter 9